This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. Good afternoon. I'm Roshan Kanesan and welcome to Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. Now, the informal employment landscape in Malaysia represents a significant and dynamic component of the labour market. This is no secret and reflects both the economic, the economy's adaptability and the challenges of face, uh, facing this workforce. These workers often face precarious conditions, including low wages, limited access to benefits and vulnerabilities to economic shocks. The persistence of the informal employment poses challenges for policymakers who must strike a balance between promoting formalisation and ensuring the well-being of these workers. These, uh, this week, earlier this week, the World Bank launched a report on, the, on informal employment here in Malaysia and indicates that about 21% of, work, of, of the workforce is engaged in informal work and we've seen this, I guess, with the rise of the gig economy and gig platforms that we've spoken to over on Open for Business. Now, the report identifies key challenges and policy goals related to retirement savings, protection against health and injury risk, and the need for social insurance schemes to be more flexible and inclusive, as well as some of the emerging trends in the space. Today, Enterprise explores this with the World, uh, this World Bank report on its findings and recommendations with Dr. Yashudan Kopade. He's the senior economist with the Social Protection and jobs team over at the World Bank. If you have any thoughts, you can WhatsApp us on our U-Mobile number. That's 018-789-8899. Uh, Dr. Yashodin, welcome to the show. And can you hear me loud and clear? Loud and clear. Thank you very much, Roshan. Pleasure to be here with you. And pleasure to explore this report with you. It's actually a really funny story. I was just speaking to, uh, last week, I was just speaking to someone who was working in the World Bank team. I said, hey guys, I need some updated numbers about the informal economy. And they were like, hey, guess what? Reports coming out next week, which has led to this uh, uh, nice little chat we're going to have today. So, uh, Doctor, before we dive into the report, maybe set the tone for us. Um, how does the World Bank define informal employment in your report and how does this compare with the definitions used by different countries? So thank you very much for that question. Very broadly speaking, informal employment uh, would broadly refer to uh, people who uh, work, but whose work is not subject to typically to national labor legislations, uh, very often income taxes. They often don't have access to social benefits that are linked through employment, such as in Malaysia's case, EPF or SOXO. Sometimes they may not have written contracts or uh, other things that come with work, such as the right to paid leave and so on. So this is sort of broadly uh, how across the world countries may choose to uh, view or define informal employment. Now, in our report and based on the stage of development where Malaysia is, uh, we propose to use a definition which basically means that if you have a job but that does not give you EPF or SOXO coverage or a retirement pension, uh, then we would consider that an informal job. So think of, you know, people working in agriculture, people working on the streets as hawkers or vendors, and increasingly, as you were just saying, people working in the gig economy, you know, uh, e-hailing, p-hailing drivers and riders and so on. Many of them have jobs, but they don't have all these benefits, particularly EPF or SOXO coverage and uh, or, or a pension upon retirement. So it's these workers that we would classify as informal employment. Uh, as being informally employed. 
Yeah, and so I think typically when people think about the informal e- economy, it often goes to the attention goes to the gig economy and the P hailers and the E hailers and all of that. But it's actually much wider than that, as you've just pointed out to us. To us, so what is I guess the current scope and evolution of informal employment within Malaysia? You know, how has the rate of informal employment changed from 2012 over to 2020, as per the report? No, thank you very much for that. So indeed, uh, you know, informal employment is a lot more than what is sometimes uh, only talked about, which is the gig uh, gig work space. But if you look at overall figures, including people like agricultural laborers, fishermen, uh, street vendors, and so on, and at that aggregate level, uh, according to our report in 2012, the rate of informal employment was about 38%. So 38% of all active workers in Malaysia did not have either EPF or SOXO or a retirement pension. Come all the way to 2022, that number has come down actually overall to about uh, just a little below 27%. Wow, that's quite fascinating. Do we Do we have any insights to why the number has come down? Well, there are many reasons for this. So, uh, first of all, you know, as a country grows and progresses, as indeed Malaysia has done over the last decade and before, uh, one sees that there is a shrinking of the traditional economic sectors like agriculture uh, in general. So, you know, tech sectors that tend to be dominated by informal employment, uh, agriculture in particular, but also allied activities like fisheries, when those numbers go down, disproportionately the number of the informally employed go down. But at the same time, I must also say that there have been several notable initiatives uh, by the government of Malaysia and agencies, including EPF and SOXO, to actually reach out to those who are informally employed and be able to extend uh, the benefits of their programs to them. So both of these factors, the economic dynamism on the one hand, and the fact that there is targeted outreach to the informally employed, both are resulting in overall, uh, at the aggregate level, a reduction in right. this number. So it, the, we are seeing the social protection net increase a little bit. So some, based on the definition, that's also part of that shrinkage we see. Because one of the things that you know, we often talk about is how the gig economy is growing and more people are getting involved in that. So I guess a lot of people would have assumed that the number would be much bigger, but there are a few factors in play there, as you mentioned. Indeed. And, you know, so I think for many of us who are in urban centers and we look around and so on, the immediate impression is we see a lot more delivery riders, uh, delivery agents and so on. And clearly these are informal uh, jobs. Uh, and we think that the numbers are going up. And indeed, the numbers of those people who are in the gig work space, those numbers are growing up very, going up very dramatically. But as an economy-wide uh, concept of informal employment, which, as I mentioned, includes, say, construction workers, people in mining, people in uh, agriculture, the numbers of inf- informal people in those uh, activities is going down much, sharp, uh, much more sharply. Uh, and how much is that? Because given that the report was up to 2022, how much is the pandemic factor into all this? Well, I mean, I th- certainly think in the pandemic, one could have seen that, you know, the reliance on e-hailing and p-hailing sort of uh, riders and workers definitely went up. Uh, some of that has probably stayed up because uh, people see the benefits of using such mm-hmm. services and it offers uh, numbers, uh, it offers opportunities to large numbers of people. So uh, we would certainly expect an uptick. Uh, and when we talk about the informal uh, sector today uh, in Malaysia, as, as per the report up to 2022, um, 
What sector is the majority of Malaysia's informal uh, employees, where are they found? So I can answer this in two ways. Mm. To ask, answer your very specific question, in what sector are most of the informally employed? Now, as since Malaysia, uh, you know, is an economy in which the services sector in general dominates all forms of employment, uh, so too in the case of informal employment, there's a very high number, uh, the large share of uh, all the informally employed who come from the services sector. At the same time, uh, the other aspect of this is, however, that certain other sectors tend to have a higher percentage of people who are informally employed. So, for instance, agriculture in particular, 80 to 85 percent of the workers in agriculture are informally employed. That said, because those numbers of people uh, in the agriculture sector as a whole are quite low, we don't see them contributing so much to the aggregate numbers. Uh, and so overall, it's the services sector that accounts for the highest numbers uh, at the aggregate level of the informally employed. Um, and moving on from that, a key part, I guess, to talk about is skills-related underemployment. I think that's a key theme here. Um, talk to us about what what this constitutes and how does it manifest differently in formal versus informal Okay, so when we talk about underemployment, it basically means to what extent are people who are employed not being fully utilized in the labor market. But when we specifically say skills-related underemployment, we're really talking here about the share of people with tertiary education, so typically, say, university-educated people who are working in mid- or low-skilled jobs. Normally, we would expect highly skilled people to be working in highly skilled jobs, but when highly skilled people are working in mid or low skilled jobs, we consider that uh, in, uh, we consider that to be skills related underemployment. Now here it's there's something that's quite sort of concerning to us, which is that already even 10 years ago, the uh, skills related underemployment in Malaysia was quite high at 35 percent among the informally employed, but this has increased to 73 percent. So it increasingly means a lot of people who are uh, who have uh, tertiary education in the informal sector actually are taking up jobs which don't uh, make full use, perhaps, of their skills. Mm. And this is a theme, I guess, we've seen uh, with you know some of the stats in the education sectors where number of people graduating from SPM and and college, we're not seeing the same numbers go into. Uh, the workforce at particular parallel levels. Uh, Dr. Ishwaran, we've got to go into a few messages. When we come back, we'll explore uh, some of the conditions that we are seeing with uh, the employment conditions that we are seeing with informally employed individuals, as well as the challenges that they face here in Malaysia. Folks, you're listening to Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. And today we're talking about the recently published report on the informal employment in Malaysia from the World Bank with Dr. Yashodan Gorpade, Senior Economist with the Social Protection and Jobs Team at the World Bank. I'm Roshan Kanesan. We'll be back in just a bit. So keep it here to BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Buggy Free Minum, BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. I'm Roshan Kanesan and today we're exploring the World Bank's recently published report on informal employment in Malaysia with Dr. Yashodan Gorpade, Senior Economist on Social Protection and Jobs at the World Bank. Uh, Dr. Yashodan, we were talking earlier about some of the definitions involved here in the state of the informal employment here in Malaysia and one of the key things is it's not all about the gig economy. There are other areas where there is informal employment typically characterized by uh, a lack of social protection such as uh, SOXO and EPF. Um, now, I guess some people might be curious in terms of what are the factors that we commonly associate with informal uh, employment here in Malaysia? Could you tell us a little bit about that and why understanding uh, these these factors and possible correlations are, are important? Absolutely. It's important to understand uh, who the informally employed are. As you just mentioned and as we discussed earlier, this is not one group. We have informal employment across different sectors in different forms in different places. And when we try to analyze some common themes across the informally employed, I think it's very important for us to be able to distinguish between the informally employed who are in poverty and uh, some uh, of the newer forms of informal employment, which is not so much about people being in poverty so that, you know, public policy can focus more on those who are uh, poor. Uh, We see that almost uh, half the informally employed in Malaysia on the whole are from B40 families. Mm. Put in other terms, also among the poorest 10% of the population, uh, 80% of them are informally employed. But in the top 10% of the population, it's only 14%. Still 14%, but much lower than uh, the poorest 10% of the country. Uh, so that you know, poverty is an important dimension to answer your question. The other important thing to keep in mind is the sector of employment, because the concerns for the informally employed in the digital gig economy would be very different from uh, the concerns of fishermen who are in informal employment or of street vendors. So one has to be a bit sort of concerned about that. Uh, we also see that there is a di- an education dimension in informal employment. Uh, there is uh, quite a few people in informal employment who have secondary education, but as we were just discussing, over time, there's a slightly higher share of people with tertiary education entering informal employment, and in fact, in uh, low-skilled and medium-skilled jobs. On the whole, we also see that informal employment generally is higher among older people, and that's concerning because soon they may retire and not be able to work, and they do not have uh, you know, an EPF uh, or pension to fall back on. So keeping all of these uh, factors in mind is very important because that can really help us develop quite tailored solutions for different groups among the informally employed. Uh, Dr. Yashodan, could you help us maybe understand, I'm I'm not sure if this was covered in the report, whether there's a differentiation between uh, people who are uh, informally employed and micro-entrepreneurs, right? Because sometimes farmers or fishermen can be self-employed as opposed to informally employed. Do we make a distinction here? Well, so actually, thank you for that. It gives me the chance to maybe clarify that when we refer to the informally employed, we include both wage employees and the self-employed. And uh, the self-employed also have uh, uh, the option to be able to contribute on their own to EPF and get protection through SOXO. 
And when they don't do that, they're unprotected against a whole range of risks. And that's when we consider them to be informally employed. But our assessment and the statistics that we just discussed include both self-employed and the wage employed. And it circles back over to the definition, right, which was <clears throat> whether they're getting certain social protections such as SOXO and EPF. And I think there was a third factor that I'm missing out. Or pensions. So in some cases, particularly, you know, uh, so public uh, civil servants may not have uh, EPF, but they would have a public uh, sector pension. So that's as good, if not better. Uh, now, when we Maybe we can talk a little bit about the the challenges, right? So now that we've gotten a better context over what's going on and some of the characteristics here, um, what challenges do informally employed workers in Malaysia face? You know, and particularly you know, right now speaking to largely the business community might be listening to this. Might be good to get a bit of insight into that. No, certainly. Thanks for this also. So, uh, you know, many, many challenges. Uh, these, of course, depend on the sector of activity. So, you know, as I mentioned, the gig workers may have very different challenges uh, from others. But overall, at an aggregate level, we see that, uh, you know, people with the same skills, same education, same sector of activity, if they work in the formal sector or they work formally, they tend to have much higher incomes than if they work informally. So there's a big earnings gap, uh, which is, uh, you know, because of which the informally employed are generally paid uh, much, much lesser than those who are formally employed. But it's not just about the issue of how much they're paid. The other big vulnerability that they face is that their incomes are quite unstable. So many of us are lucky enough to have jobs that give us a fixed monthly income. For a street vendor, it very much depends on how much business comes in on a particular day. And if it rains, uh, you know, you probably have no customers on a particular day. So too with agriculture where, you know, when there are shocks, when there's excess or low rainfall, uh, there are other other factors that make a difference that really affects the incomes. So the incomes become more volatile. This is often what we call also precarious employment, employment which is not able to sort of assure a basic minimum or, uh, you, you know, uh, that is that is not sufficient for people to meet their needs. But increasingly, we also see that uh, many forms of informal employment have very peculiar risks associated. So, you know, with the P-hailing and E-hailing drivers, there's a risk of fatigue, a very high risk of accidents and injuries and so on. But also in uh, among agricultural workers who operate heavy machinery and equipment. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, it, there's, there's several other instances in our report on the kinds of risks that different informal workers face. And what makes it more complicated is that while some risks may be present in all jobs, the informally employed have no protection against such risks uh, when they face them. Uh, I guess um, a big part of this would be potential reforms that we could see uh, in this space. Um but before we uh, we talk about that, let's get a lay of the land for what currently is there in terms of regulation. Uh, what regulations, policies or initiatives are there in play right now that currently support the informally employed workers or economy here in Malaysia? We, we have seen EPF and a few other bodies expand the scope over the last few years. Could you flesh that out first? Certainly. So I think, you know, Malaysia is in fact a country that... Uh, 
we we are uh, very pleased to note has actually very proactively taken steps to uh, provide the right regulatory framework and enabling sort of protective framework for the informally employed so it has developed policies and programs specifically for uh, informal workers this is at the aggregate level at the for the whole legal framework so you know the employment amendment act of 2022 uh, particularly makes allowances for the informal uh the uh, for those in informal employment but then as you mentioned there are several initiatives by epf and soxo uh that have been addressing the needs and uh that that of for protection uh, protection among the informally employed uh so for instance there is the self employment social security scheme uh that was introduced for the e hailing sector a few years ago and uh, that is uh, very noteworthy uh the epf uh, uh, also launched the isaran program which is a voluntary matching contribution program through which the informally employed can contribute into epf and uh, get uh, you know some matching contributions from the government some subsidies for their contribution and can then access its benefits in the future uh but there are also several other initiatives there is the uh, sip emp program of soxo which allows even non soxo contributors uh to to benefit uh from the program uh which is which provides basically unemployment assistance and also support for people to look for jobs when they need them uh and then finally there is the e resuki platform which was actually quite uh, quite pioneering i would say which is a publicly supported digital labor platform aggregator which provides support to people who want to enter the digital platform workspace and the gig economy space so this was sort of you know just some of the initiatives the government of uh, malaysia has launched i would just underscore that although some of these initiatives are really very uh, you know uh, relevant and useful in some cases the uptake of these programs still remains a bit low and not uh, as many people as we would hope take them up take up the benefits so that is one sort of uh, limitation but uh, there is a plethora of programs that have uh, tremendous potential for covering and supporting everyone and that in, is oh sorry uh, please uh, everyone by everyone i meant everyone who is informally employed yeah and you know that the plethora of programs not being taken up is a common theme that we see every time budget comes around and we see all these things come about uh all these allocations don't uh not all the time but the some of the key ones don't get fully allocated whether it's awareness uh, among other reasons we've touched on gig, gig economy a few times here and some of those initiatives we were talking about earlier was also meant to kind of uh were policies and programs for the gig economy as well to expand social protection uh but i i realized that we didn't actually define uh gig gig employment versus informal could you help us uh, define that uh, now certainly so gig economy or gig employment would typically be a subset of informal employment and broadly gig employment refers to uh you know jobs that are facilitated through digital labor platforms Uh, and are typically short term so you don't engage in a very long term contract with an employer or something these are short task based or very short duration based uh, work that people take up uh, and uh, you know there's there's some work that can be done through online web based platforms 
and the other is uh, what we call location-based platforms. So if you're a digital freelancer who's doing data entry work for a company based abroad, you would probably fall into the first category of web-based platforms. But if you're a delivery rider who has to do the work in that specific location, that would be what we call a location-based uh, platform worker. So these two are broad groups that are sort of described in what we what we uh, say constitutes the gig economy or gig employment. But we must keep in mind that the gig employment uh, is, at the end of the day, a subset of uh, you know the entire gamut of informal employment. Yeah, I, I've been uh, seeing a lot of, uh, on our other show, Open for Business, a lot of gig economy platforms come on. Just this morning, I spoke with Carpedia, which does logistics sector just for uh, for deliveries and parcels. But we've also mm-hmm. seen people like Kiddo Care, Care Concierge. There's a lot being developed in the space and it'll be interesting to see how this develops over the longer term. But these definitions and social protections need to be taken into consideration. Um, uh, is there a specific subset of gig uh, workers that have been uh, that have been in particular uh, rising in numbers over the last few years. Uh, yes, absolutely, and that would be uh, so. You know, among gig workers, we define three ma- major categories, if you like. So there is digital microtasks and digital work on the one hand, and then there is location-based work, which is a bit more, you know, sort of uh, location-specific. You can't do it from just about anywhere if you have to deliver, as you were just mentioning, for the logistics uh, transport startup that or, or uh, uh, platform that mm. you were mentioning that has to be done in the particular location. So we find actually the location-based work has really taken off very sharply in many countries, but uh, especially in Malaysia in the last few years. And, you know, you listed off a bunch of programs earlier that was catering towards the informal economy. Uh, Are there particular programs you'd like to highlight that is focused on the gig economy specifically? Yes, so among the programs that I mentioned is Mm -hmm. uh, eResiKey, run by the Malaysia Digital Economy Corporation. Uh, It's a digital labor platform aggregator which provides support to people who want to enter the gig space and to take up digital microtasks or location-based work. So, uh, you know, there is that layer of support that is available to them, some basic digital and financial literacy, other related training that can be uh, offered to them. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there's also initiatives to use that platform to be able to link them to social insurance uh, programs of uh, EPF and SOXO. So, that is one. The ISARAN is another uh, interesting initiative of EPF, which uh, ma- provides matching contributions uh, for gig workers who want to get EPF coverage, uh, but maybe they can't afford the full coverage uh, the full contribution on their own uh, and so a part of it is subsidized by the government so the isaran program is, is uh, also a very relevant one uh, now obviously dr shouldn we are not going to be able to get into all the details and all the insights from the report here but as we come to a close in this conversation i do want to get some of the recommendations from the report from the world bank for addressing informal uh, employment here in malaysia what are some of those recommendations so indeed, since we can't cover all, I will use this opportunity to pitch <laughs> our report and say, please take a look. We actually worked very hard to come up with a long list. But broadly, I think we need to have two concerns for the informally employed. One, we should direct policies to improve their protection. 
And two, we should try to do things to help them become more productive at work to be able to earn more income. So for the first, there are quite a few notable initiatives of EPF and SOXO to provide protection to the informally employed. More can be done by way of outreach, so to work with informal associations of gig workers, of informal workers, and so on, to be, have better outreach of their programs. But also in the case of digital platforms, because they have these platforms that are operational and functional, uh, it's just a small step that can be done if we start sort of making automatic uh, contributions from the incomes that people earn through platforms towards their EPF account. We also recommend for especially high-risk activities such as riding and delivery and so on, that the platforms have to make sure that they provide at least uh, you know injury insurance that is related to work. There are many risks involved over here. And on the productivity side, we have a whole bunch of recommendations around improving skills training, uh, putting a, an emphasis on foundational skills for the economy as a whole, but also as people enter the informal economy workspace, uh, more outreach to make sure they are even aware of some of the initiatives of EPF and SOXO. They also have some basic financial literacy training that can help them plan better, access the programs that are in place. And where th there is a need, there is also perhaps uh, you know, some rationale for subsidizing contributions for uh, social insurance coverage for some groups of workers. Uh, and you know, those are some of the, the, the key recommendations there. Um, and maybe you can also highlight to us some of the potential benefits that could come about from implementing some of those recommendations so that we can get a little bit of like, uh, the, the, again, what could happen from uh, from these things? Yeah, so certainly I think there's a time dimension to these things. If some of these activities are done, they would provide a better protection to the workers uh, in the interim, even if they remain informally employed and they don't have regular, say, you know, nine to five jobs that give them uh, EPF and SOXO coverage on their own, they still have better protection their incomes are much more secure. Uh, they don't have to rely on very harmful ways of coping when they experience shocks. So that is an immediate benefit. But over the long term, this also helps people save more, invest more, in, uh, improve the productivity of their uh, uh, of their uh, small businesses if they're running them. So uh, you know, over over time, we would also see some of these initiatives would help improve the productivity of workers as well and and finally um plans uh, are great recommendations are great but it's also important to measure these things and evaluate them uh, are there any recommendations uh, on how we can monitor and evaluate the informal uh, economy informal sector any and any potential initiatives that are put in place to improve the situation Yes, certainly. So we provide uh, some recommendations in the report, first of all, to better measure informal employment, because the traditional forms of imp informal employment uh, are not the same as some of the new emerging forms, such as gig employment. But in typical statistical systems, we are not able to distinguish mm -hmm. between the two. So being able to capture these in national surveys uh, is very important so that we can understand the, the economic situation of different groups of the informally employed. So that is one aspect about measurement in general. But the second part, which is about monitoring and evaluating the particular uh, programs that are launched, I think a lot can be learned from doing so. 
So why is the outreach for particular programs still limited? For instance, you know, if there are complementary studies that are launched along with uh, the launch of these programs, uh, and we can certainly, you know, think about some of the best practices in doing so, that can really help fix some of these problems which we see downstream as we start implementing some of the programs. And, uh, you know, as, as important as it is to implement some of these initiatives that we see in Malaysia, it's equally important to keep monitoring them so that we know when they're not working, what sort of corrective steps may need to be taken or additional steps that may need to be taken. Uh, and we elaborate on this more in the report, but I won't take up more of your time. <laughs> uh, Dr. Ishida will be sure to link the report in the show notes. So if anyone wants to take a read, can go to the podcast page uh, when the podcast is updated today and click the link uh, after listening to the conversation, of course. Uh, Dr. Ishida, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I hope to speak to you again in the future. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Roshan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Folks, I've been speaking with Dr. Yashodan Gorpade, Senior Economist with the Social Protection and Jobs Team at the World Bank. And this has been Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing world of business from the headlines to the bottom line. And if you missed any part of this conversation, uh, you can catch the conversation on our BFM app. You can download that on the Apple App Store, Google Play. You can also find our shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your usual podcast player. Just look for Enterprise Explores. I'm Roshan this is BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.